and what other infirmities they have, that those are covered by his passion and death, who also desire more and more to go forward in faith and integrity of life. But hypocrites and those who do not truly repent do eat and drink damnation to themselves. And then question 86. Are they also to be admitted to the Lord's Supper, who in confession and life declare themselves to be infidel, profane, and ungodly? Answer. No. By that means, the ordinance of God is profane, and the wrath of God is stirred up against the whole assembly. Wherefore, the church, by the commandment of Christ and his apostles, inspired by the Holy Spirit, using the keys of the kingdom of heaven, ought to drive them from the supper, so they shall repent and change their manners. Okay. Very good. And if somebody can read uh, the references there, first, First Corinthians ten twenty-one to twenty-two. That's referring to question eighty-five. 1021? Yes, and twenty-two. 1022. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Okay, and then 1 Corinthians 11, 20 to 22, referring to question 86. You can read it. Therefore, Anthony. whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Good, so that's where we're going to be. Arnie, we've been through this question, and it came up several times during our discourse of the uh, series, question series, in the Lord's Supper, right? Of the Lord's Supper. So, why these questions again? And it seems like there's particular, okay, focus on, on this topic, okay? And uh, that was initially... What uh, my attitude was to this question, why are we going back to this? This was, uh, you know, in some, some way or some, uh, 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 what would you call this, uh, uh, subtopic in one of the questions, this was already addressed. Okay. Why are we going back to this question again? Who, as to who are to come to the table? And the question of those unbelievers, can they come to the Lord's table? Okay, we know the answers. But, so, this question and answer revolves around the idea of fencing the Lord's table. Okay, fencing the Lord's table. It means there is the idea of proper and improper use of the Lord's table. Called lawful, lawful or unlawful use of the Lord's table. So today we will focus of, on this. And a subtopic that fall under with this, which is the responsibilities and the consequences. Okay? Um, fencing the table, um, I have it, uh, there's a definition there by somebody, uh, Jonathan Griffith. If somebody can read that, it means that, okay? Somebody read it in your hand up. Putting in place around the table appropriate barriers of warning and discipline to guard against participation by those who are not living in faith, repentance, and charitable harmony with the people of God. Yes, exactly. Okay. 
So, <clears throat> in the history of the Reformation, I don't know if some of you might be familiar of this incident of uh, John Calvin protecting the Lord's Supper. Okay, let me read an excerpt here from uh, Joss Bice uh, in his article about the Lord's Supper. It says here, <clears throat> at one point, John Calvin stood before his congregation in Geneva and publicly barred a man from the Lord's table. A controversy had arisen among Calvin and the council of the city who overturned a ruling of the church to prevent a man from observing the Lord's Supper. He was known to be living in open sexual sin, uh, known as the Libertines, and this grieved Calvin's heart. He protested the council's decision, but went on to preach on the Lord's Day. When the sermon was finished, and following a time of prayer, he descended from his lofty pulpit to the Lord's table. The man who was under discipline was in the church on that particular day with his friends. After Calvin fenced the table, a sudden rush came from the troublemakers toward the Lord's table. They insisted that they would partake of the Lord's Supper. Calvin pro protested as he flung himself around the vessels containing the elements of the Lord's Supper. Calvin's voice echoed through the congregation. These hands you may crush, these arms you may lop off, my life you may take, my blood is yours, you may shed it, but you shall never force me to give holy things to the profaned and dishonor the table of my God. According to Theodore Bessa, Calvin's first biographer, after this protest by Calvin, quote, the sacred ordinance was celebrated with a profound silence and under solemn awe in all present as if the deity himself had been visible among them. So, we can see, we can sense from there the, uh, the seriousness of participating or partaking of the Lord's Supper. These hands you may crush, these arms you may laugh off, my life you may take, my blood is yours, you may shed it, but you'll never, you shall never force me to give holy things to the profane and dishonor the table of my God. Okay? Okay, you might have your opinion about that, but the, the fact remains that we should treat the Lord's Supper with seriousness, solemnness, and uh, take heed of the warnings, okay, the barriers uh, that our Lord put around the table. Okay. <clears throat> so in first, uh, sorry, Corinthians. 11, 27, 30, we know this warning, okay, we, we, we hear this, and leader says this almost every time we have the Lord's Supper uh, in, our, in the service, Paul gives us a warning against partaking the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of, our, of the Lord, that a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, 
and have some died. So in context, in particular, there was a meal uh, during this time in, in the Corinthian church. It was an ordinary meal, not necessarily the Lord's Supper. There were those who came with food for themselves, and there were those who did not. So the well-to-do was feasting, and even uh, some of them are get it, were getting drunk while the poor had nothing to eat. So there was a failure here where there was a call to discern the body of Christ. Okay. The people of Christ were neglected and dishonored. Okay. We can expand this principle <clears throat> in that we can neglect to discern the body of Christ ourselves in, in many ways, whether or not we have committed any failures where we have not repented for, okay? And in here, there is a focus on relationship within the church. That's, okay, we can, we can see it as a failure of any uh, <coughs> sin, but in this particular context, there was a focus on relationship. So it is possible co to come to the table and have unrepented sins, or we may have differences with our uh, brothers or sisters, not settled, okay? So these are participating in an unworthy manner. So in light of this, we take heed of what Paul emphasized here in the proper way of approaching the Lord's Supper, proper way. In order that we might wrap our minds around this, so we ought to take into account responsibilities and consequences. So, by definition, we recited it, putting on the fence means putting in place around the table appropriate barriers of warning and discipline to guard against the participation by those who are not living in faith, repentance, and charitable harmony with the people of God. Okay? Not talking about putting actual fences, actual physical barriers, right? It says here, warning and discipline. So we can see two things here. The responsibility of the partaker, okay, the believers, the ones who come to the table to eat and drink. And the second is the responsibility of the leaders, the ministers. The leaders give the appropriate warning and take actions in maintaining the purity of the church as much as possible. The second is the self-examination of the partakers. Okay. So John Calvin describes worthy participation in these terms. This is the worthiness, the best and only kind we can bring to God to offer our vileness and our unworthiness to him, so that in his mercy we may be taken as worthy. To despair, I'm sorry, to despair in ourselves so that we may be lifted up by him. To accuse ourselves so that we may be justified by him. So, uh, I thought I had it in your notes there a little bit, okay? Okay, so <clears throat> let me just add this. <clears throat> so when talking about the two things to consider in your notes there, 
I put down this is mine uh, as I read through the material. The responsibilities of the partakers are self-examination and also take heed and be reconciled to your, uh, to your neighbor, to your brothers and sisters. The responsibility of the church leader is to encourage, to prepare, uh, uh, encourage preparation, sorry about that, proclaim the warning, and we see that in our service, and uphold church discipline. Okay? Upholding church discipline, what does that mean? In, in terms of Lord's Supper. Brett? Yeah. Um, it implies that uh, the church is uh, following the principle of Matthew 18, um, going to a brother privately first uh, if there is sin that they suspect, and then if they remain on repentance, continuing on those steps. Um, and that would imply the person would be. If they're unrepentant, they would be barred from the table until they repent. Very good. Yeah, exactly. I can't add anything to that. Okay? And when they repent, there shouldn't be any hesitancy. They should be able to partake of the Lord's Supper. Okay? That's just some details on it. But that's what, uh, you know, it comes to the leadership. That's one thing they can uphold. That's responsibility. Okay? So, let, can somebody read uh, the excerpt there from uh, John Calvin? Do I have it here? On self-examination. Seeking to prepare for reading the Lord's Supper worthily, men have often dreadfully harassed and tortured miserable consciences, and yet have failed to reach their goal. They have said that you must be in a state of grace in order to be worthy. What does it mean to be in a state of grace? They have interpreted this to mean being pure and free from all sin. But by definition, all the men that ever have been and all who are on the earth now are barred from the use of the sacrament. For if we are to seek our worthiness from ourselves, it is all, it is all over with us. Only despair and fatal ruin await us. Though we struggle to the utmost, we will not only make no progress, but we would only be more unworthy after we have labored most to make ourselves worthy. Okay. I thought that was very good. So we're not looking. Unworthiness or worthiness is, does not mean that you have to be perfect, right? At that instance. Or... You have to prepare. That preparation requires you to, to be very perfect in all things before you can partake. And what's the reason that would be absurd, according to Calvin? It's impossible. Eh? Thank you, Joe. It's impossible. No one will be uh, going to the Lord's Supper uh, if they were con conscientious about that. So what does it mean to be worthy then? Uh, yeah, let's read the, the next one. Somebody read the next quote there. Uh, the one with the uh, statement and then bullet, bullet points there. <clears throat> Somebody? Okay, George. So, the best and only worthiness which we can bring to God is to offer Him our own vileness and unworthiness 
that his mercy may make us worthy. To despond in ourselves that we may be insulted him. To humble ourselves that we may be elevated by him. To accuse ourselves that we may be justified by him. To accuse ourselves that we may be justified by him. What does that mean? I find that helpful once I uh, kind of meditated on that uh, topic. Anthony, okay. So in uh, John chapter 16, when Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit will convict the world in their sin, yeah. right in their, you know, because, of his, because of God's righteousness. Yeah. Um, when Calvin's example was of the unrepentant man, no. he, there's no self-accusation to bring himself to repentance. Right. He's living in open sin. Yeah. There's, you know, so I was thinking of today. There's no repentance brings the justification, I believe in Christ. Right. There's no repentance, there's no belief. Yeah. Yeah. Any other view on that? Very <coughs> good, George. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a very interesting way that John Calvin phrases it to accuse ourselves. Mm -hmm. I think um, going back to what you were saying earlier in the previous quote, the Roman Catholic saying that you ought to be in a state of grace that is kind of implying that you can be good enough to enter into the Lord's table right. and hopefully you're good enough where the opposite is true it's only you recognize and, and accuse yourself of your own sin look to Christ as the only means for justification then you're actually worthy to be in the table because you're not trusting in your own works to be in that state of grace Christ. you're trusting in Christ and the sacrifice which is what the, the symbol is about yeah very good Exactly. Basically, it's the gospel message all over again, right? We are undeserving, but only present before Christ, before God, through the works of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see ourselves as God sees us. Okay? Our works, no matter how good in our eyes, is not at all worthy in God's eyes, right? Perfection as we have said before, perfection is the requirement. And you could never attain that. So it is so absurd for us to reason or to, uh, to accept that we can, in our, in our own, uh, be contrite enough and be penitent enough uh, to warrant going into the Lord's Supper. Yes, we have to be penitent, but only, okay, our approach okay, to the Lord's Supper is only by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So you might be sorrowful for your sins, okay? As they, you know, uh, you might have confessed and think, but you don't know the gospel message that you are only there because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot, okay? We still consider that as un, uh, unworthy, correct? So Orsinos, the uh, uh, principal author of the Catechism, puts these two responsibilities in an interesting way. Two responsibilities being self-examination of the partakers and the role of the leadership in determining who can be admitted in the Lord's Supper. Okay, the former, uh, self-examination, is the responsibility of the partaker. 
and the latter is the responsibility of the church leadership. All those who ought to come, which are the believer, believers, all those who ought to come should be admitted. Okay? But not all who are admitted ought to come. What does that mean? What does that mean? Okay. Let me repeat it. All those who ought to come, which are believers, should be admitted, but not all who are admitted ought to come. Stab at it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, the, the principle of the visible and the invisible church. Okay, we don't, the leadership or any of us may never know exactly uh, the heart of a person, whether he's a believer or not, or he is unrepented uh, a believer or not. So, based on his profession, right, that's all, all we have. And also the life, the pattern of his life, that's also key there. So, we ad they are admitted if they profess to be believers. Okay. And the opposite side of it is that <clears throat> uh, but not all who are admitted ought to come. There, there's an emphasis there on self-examination. Okay. So the leadership might, might say, hey, you can come. Okay. Oh, but pastor, I have this. Okay. He might be a believer for this instance. It is, I have this unresolved issues. I need to do this with my brother. Okay? Or, he comes to, an unbeliever who comes to his conscience and says, I, I, I don't. Okay? I, I'm not a believer. And I ought not to come. Even if the uh, leadership thought, thought at, at first that he was, uh, he was a Christian. Okay? So there is that uh, breadth uh, uh, use the word, uh, good word, fallibility. Okay? What's the death? Okay. Yeah, I was going to mention that. One of the ways that churches, local organized believers together, uh, try to discern that under right. the shepherd is membership. Membership. In those that the process, you're not going to find membership necessarily in that sense or that word. In scripture, but having a process by which the local church can affirm someone's professional faith is the process of membership. So we talk about accountability. That's one of the ways that we are trying to guard the church and make sure that everyone in, in the church is an actual believer and assuming that baptism of the Lord's Supper are connected with some 
local organized believers function together as a local body, one of the practical processes is membership classes. So we get to speak with that person, sort of interview them in a sense, to discern whether or not they are in the faith, so that when we do call folks to come to the Lord's Supper, there's some affirmation that this person is a believer, as we have practices on it as best we can with our flaws, you know, perception, right. finite knowledge, one of the ways that we help ourselves is that membership process to discern yeah. whether that person is a believer and in that sense, worthy to come to the Lord. Yes. Very good. Yeah, it is a key, a uh, distinct step in the membership process. Uh, it is the interview, right? As well as that, they have a, a written uh, form, testimony just for the practical side of it. Has there ever been a, a time, an uh, instance, that uh, we denied membership because of... Um, has there ever been? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're you know, in the process of talking about those yeah. things, maybe come to the realization that maybe the person doesn't genuinely know the gospel or right. understand the gospel, then of course we would not. Yeah. Okay. My point there is we take this seriously as a church and as leadership of the church as well. Uh, you know, maybe demonstrably not as intense as Calvin <laughs> flinging himself into the table. <laughs> but we do take it seriously. <laughs> but, okay. So, who are the ones to be admitted um, just a, a quick bullet point of description here. Those who acknowledge their sins uh, are, and who are truly repentant and sorrowful. Those who trust that their sins are forgiven by and for Christ. And those who truly desire that their faith and life be strengthened towards a more holy standing before God. Okay? So faith and repentance... Those are the key items we ought to examine for the proper approach to the Lord's Supper. Faith and repentance. So we examine ourselves. Okay? Look at ourselves. Look at our lives. Look at our belief, our faith. Not only our actions in the past, but deep inside our heart. So the next question is, how do we know that we have attained or that we are in good standing when it comes to the Lord's Supper, knowing that we will never be perfect, knowing that we, will, we are not on our own deserving of the Lord's Supper. So how can we know? I'll, I'll put it to you. How do you know? Because it's the blood of Jesus Christ. It's work. It's work. It is finished. It's done. We believe in Okay, we believe them. That's it. I thought you were... <laughs> That's the key, we believe, right? Because uh, historians might believe the history of Christ. Right? Historically. But, question is, is faith in there? So, believe. By having confidence in God and peace of conscience. Um, this was from Orsinus also. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Uh, and then Romans 5, 1, 
That's it. And then Romans 5, 5, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Okay? So we have that hope. Uh, and although we feel undeserving, okay, that shame is not as weighty as we put to ourselves. Okay? We are forgiven and uh, worthy by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. But so another answer is that how do we know? Uh, from a sincere desire, sincere, the operative word, desire and purpose to obey all the commandments of God, even if we cannot do it perfectly. Okay? It can't be done, so why do it? Right? Ours is the other way. The Christian paradox. Okay. We do it anyway for our love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Questions? Good? So the role of leadership. Let me... I don't have it here. Let's read this. Um, quote from... Uh, Exposition of the Eidelberg Catechism on this same uh, question. The role of leadership is to discern who are to be admitted and who are not. This task can be seen in two perspectives. One is that the leadership have limited capability in knowing the hearts of men. And the other is that the leadership can to some degree be aware of issues within the member, membership of the church. So in the first perspective, in the first angle, Brett says uh, the leadership cannot know everything. Okay, The leadership is able to give warning, okay? a blanket warning to the members. Without warning, the members are prompted to examine themselves, not just on their sins and failures, but also in their standing before the body and blood of Christ, okay? knowing the gospel message. So, are they truly believers or hypocrites? Or Silas puts it. Hypocrites are the pretentious ones. Okay? So that's the first perspective. Leadership cannot know everything, so they give a war blanket warning to everybody. And it's up to members to discern through self-examination they're standing before the Lord's Supper. Okay. The second perspective uh, being that the leadership has some knowledge of issues within the church, uh, where the leadership knows of unrepentant sins within the congregation, the role of church discipline comes into play. Those who are under church discipline are not to be admitted. This means that the individual is unrepentant and continues to live in his her rebellious path. Okay? And that happened not too many times, but at least a couple times, even within this church. Questions about that? Okay. The process of church discipline is another topic, but as mentioned, uh, uh, escapes me, Matthew 18. Okay? The Matthew 18. Uh, uh, passage gives us uh, 
operating principles on uh, how church discipline is to be conducted. So, those who are under church discipline are not to be admitted. This means that the individual... I'm sorry, that's good. So, question 86, let's uh, take time also to address that. Are, are they also to be admitted to the Lord's Supper who, who in confession and life declare themselves to be infidels, profane, and ungodly? Again, Ani, we've answered that. But why? Um, let me... Can somebody read the last quote there? It's long, but again. The church is not to judge in regard to that which is... Is it the quote you're referring to? Yeah. That which is secret and hidden, it therefore admits all whom it judges to be members of Christ. That is, all whom it hears and sees professing repentance and faith by confession and the external deportment of the life, whether they be truly pious or hypocrites, whose true character is not yet known. Those, however, are not to be admitted to the Lord's table, who simply declare that they believe all these things, while they continue to lead ungodly and sinful lives, for he that, for he that says he believes and yet has not the fruits of faith, lies and denies indeed what he affirms in words, according to the declaration of the apostle where he says, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate, Titus 1.16. So the apostle James declares in 2.20 that faith without works is dead. Yeah. Question, was there faith there to begin with, right? So... We affirm that the Lord's Supper belong to the faithful okay, alone. Believers, professing Christians. When Christ instituted it, he was in the presence of his disciples alone. Okay? Not alone, but only the disciples. Okay? This should be clear to us by now. Luke 22:15. Uh, says this, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I, su I suffer. Okay, With you, he says. It is clear that Paul forbids unbelievers and unrepentant sinners to partake of the Lord's table. We emphasize this with force. Uh, because there is what? Judgment, right? There is judgment. We say this, uh, the leadership will say this uh, during the, the preparation time of the Lord's Supper. There is judgment if this was violated. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. 29, right? Uh, whoever eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So to question 86, we cite reasons based on the nature of the taking in the substance in eating. To eat the bread is to eat Christ's body. That signifies partakers of the merit, the efficacy, and all that is in the cup of blessings. John 6, 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now think of unbelievers. Since unbelievers don't know Christ, what they eat is not Christ. 
Okay? They are not partakers of the substance of Christ's work. They are not partakers of the merit of Christ's work or all the benefits that comes with it. The unbelievers don't have faith, therefore they don't eat Christ. They don't partake of the thing signified. They might partake of the signs, but they are not partaking of the thing signified. Okay. So, believers, of course, we receive the benefit by faith only. So, we partake both the sign and the thing signified. So, the ungodly minus one. Okay? So, we say these things because to partake of Christ by faith is to believe... To believe as we remember John 6 is to be saved. To be, part, uh, to be partakers of the blessings of salvation. When unbelievers eat, they do so without faith. And so therefore, they are condemned to judgment. Well, they are already condemned because they're not saved as well. So on the contrary, those who have faith and partake are not condemned because no one who eats Christ, the thing signified, in faith, is condemned. Okay? So if you're a believer and you truly partake of the thing signified, those partaking is real. Okay? The blessing that comes to us of partaking the blood and, and body of Christ is real. So, how can you be condemned? Okay. So, First uh, Corinthians ten twenty one appeals to our reason that the ungodly cannot partake of the Lord's supper. The word is cannot. Okay, cannot. It implies ability. They don't have the ability to partake of the thing significant. Uh, signified. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of the demons uh, in First 10.21. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Meaning, it's impossible to have both. Right? We have the verse for this in Matthew 6.26 uh, 24. No man can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. It's impossible. They're diametrically opposed. It's, it's absurd that if you think you can. This will never happen. Yeah, one or the other. So what reasons are there that the unworthy partaking brings judgment? What reasons are there that the unworthy partaking brings judgment? I put too much thought in this question that I cannot even uh, remember what my point here is. <laughs> but anyway, the, the thing is, uh, yeah, why does it bring judgment, I guess, okay? When you are partaking unworthy. Table, um, 
not by faith in Christ and his finished work, you are essentially saying, I'm coming in and of myself. And so you're coming very pridefully because you think more highly of yourself than you should because what what unholy thing could ever come into the presence of a holy God? Right. Right. I was thinking of Hebrews 10. Um, so, you know, he's writing to the, the Jewish Christians, right? And he, something brought them to Christ, but yet they were willfully sinning. And he was bringing up to them, you know, how much worse punishment do you think he will, he deserves to trample underfoot the Son of God and is regarded as defiled with the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and is insulted the Spirit of grace? I was just thinking of that, you know, in a way, the same thing. There's something that brought them there to the table. But they're willfully sinning, right. knowing what that blood means. Yeah, that's further judgment. Just like right. the Jews received harsher judgment uh, when they were disobeying God and they had the law. Right. It's trampling on Christ. Okay. Sick. It's trampling. Any anybody else? Okay. That's okay. That idea in First Corinthians eleven twenty seven that uh, they will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Yeah. This picture of them as the ones who crucified. Yeah. Which is yeah, that's the judgment. That's the judgment. Yeah. Yeah. There's pride in there. There's there's overt disregard for what Christ, uh, the meaning of what Christ did, right? So it's it's a form of mockery. Okay, in a physical sense, that action is a form of mockery. Just like the, uh, uh, because you feel the motivation is you deserve it or I belong or whatever the reason is, that uh, you don't care about the meaning uh, of the thing signified. Signified. So it's a form of mockery. They profane the signs, and by extension, the thing signified. It is not for them. It is for the disciples of Christ. Okay, so. Yeah, you don't want me in there. I'm gonna go in there. Okay. Another one is they they profane the covenant. They profane the covenant, the people of God, that uh, uh, that domain. Okay. I am your God, and you are my people. So in essence, they are making themselves themselves appear to be part of the body of Christ, when in fact they are. Of the condemned okay imposters if you will third is that they are guilty of not examining themselves they're guilty of not examining themselves sincerely or truly it is a command examine ourselves self-examination right or they did or they did and ignore what they see as it relates to the commandments of God it's again a mockery Okay. Pass yeah, this. Add to that. Assuming that you can benefit from what Christ has purchased for us, which is the privilege of sitting at the table, the Lord's table, while rejecting the price of that privilege, that is, of course, disobedient and dangerous. Moments of walking out of the house and our table. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's a good picture, you know, somebody comes to your house uninvited and then just just take whatever they want to take. So the Lord himself says there is judgment. So in summary, you are to be admitted to the Lord's Supper. I'm sorry, let me backtrack. As we can see, Christ is despised in all of this. It's contempt of the sign and the one signified. Therefore, we cannot say that the Lord's Supper is good to take Okay. The Lord's Supper is good to take, therefore, there is no guilt in receiving it godly or not. After all, all are called to draw near to God. We cannot say that. The Lord's Supper is for the followers of Christ. Make sense? Okay. So, in summary, who are to be admitted to the Lord's Supper? Those who can and have examined themselves and able to commemorate the Lord's death. Those who are in, in the body of Christ, members of the church of Christ, followers, disciples of Christ, therefore baptized in his death and resurrection. Those who profess true repentance and faith in word and in deed. Okay? So, God, let me take this time to flip that around. Let me flip that around, okay? So what blessings for the church can you think of? Or let me put it this way, what opportunity okay, within the church can you think of when we so-called fence the Lord's Supper, when we protect the Lord's Supper, okay? when we discern who and to be admitted, what blessing does that give us? As a church, what opportunities are there? It's a way to uh, strive to Purity of the church, purity of life, purity of the doctrine that comes under it shepherds our soul. Okay? It shepherds our soul. Fencing, the Lord's Supper uh, has a way of shepherding our souls. What is, uh, what is in faith and what is not in faith. Another, another blessing that we, we get. Okay? 
כן? It assures, that, it assures us that our worship is genuine, right? Our worship and that relationship of our Lord and our worship is pure and undefiled. It also provides opportunity for repentance. You see that, right? I see that a lot when I'm reflecting in the Lord's Supper. What have I done? You know, it's to self-examine. It's an opportunity for repentance. It's right there. It is also an opportunity for reconciliation. And what happened to the Corinthian church at that time was there was a problem in their relationship, right? They were not caring for one another. So the body of Christ in general is not being cared for by their members. So if you have problems with your neighbor or your brother or your sister it's an opportunity you come face to face with that problem you are being, being called and that shouldn't threaten us it should be a blessing to us hey this is an opportunity it's a very ripe time to to reflect on that you come to your brother and say forgive me brother for this for that okay last Last call? That's all I have. Thank you. Lord and Father, we thank you for our time. And uh, grass withers, Lord. Flowers fades. But your scriptures, Lord, endures forever. For our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.